Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of The Last of Us podcast. My guest today is Greg Ruth, an exceptionally versatile, prolific, erudite, and eclectic artist of hundreds of book and vinyl covers, thousands of posters, and tens of thousands of graphic novel pages featured in the New York Times, DC Comics, Dark Horse, and HarperCollins, author, co-creator, and contributor to several internationally acclaimed works, including Our Enduring Spirit for Obama's inauguration, Meadowlark and Inde with fellow Texas native and kindred spirit, the Oscar-nominated actor Ethan Hawke, Goosebumps for R.L. Stein, Binti Novella series for Nedi Okorafor, PhD, and the music video for Cinnamon Girl by Grammy-winning artist Prince, visiting faculty member of Amherst College's illustration masterclass in his home state of Massachusetts, alongside fellow master James Gurney of Dinotopia, contributing teacher to the Muddy Colors Collective, providing free artist resources online for over a decade, storyteller in the worlds of Conan the Barbarian and The Matrix, working directly with the Wachowskis, as well as several works of original storytelling and art, including Sudden Gravity, the New York Times bestsellers The Lost Boy and Coming Home, and the 52 Weeks Project, which spawned much beloved print collections for Twin Peaks, Game of Thrones, Dune, Blade Runner, Severance, and most recently The Last of Us. All this while juggling fatherhood, business ownership, and just generally being an omnidirectionally existing human being overall. Your guess is as good as mine as to how he manages it all. He's making art from 5am to 6pm every day, and leading up to this recording has quietly yet profoundly transformed into one of my all-time favorite creative human beings, Greg Ruth. Welcome. Well, that no. intro was amazing. I don't even know. I don't think I've ever heard anything so uh, splendid. Thank you. Very gracious. Had to be said. <laughs> and something crazy from the admin side, uh, 30th episode, but you, it's on your website, 30 years, artistically active since 1993. Um, <laughs> right. Your reflections on that, sir? It's the fastest, slowest crawl of time running I've ever experienced. You know, it's just, it's like, you know, it's like looking at my kids who are now my youngest now the baby is about to head off to college next year and you know at one moment it's amazing how quickly it's gone by but at the same time it was so dense and full and sometimes so slow so it's a it's both it's a very kind of schizoidal disjointed experience to start okay. clocking in uh time on decades like that it's mm -hmm. still blows me away i'm i'm not a, a, i'm just i just don't even look at people my own age and see them <laughs> as anything other than grown-ups and i so i i have a maturity issue i think that's the only explanation that's interesting because i from the many interviews because you've been regularly interviewed over the years uh what i've gleaned from them is is someone who can in very Twin Peaksy style, exist in both worlds. You've mentioned one of the things you enjoy about the traditional mediums is the sort of organic, happy accidents that happened, which simply, definitionally, with digital art, you can just, because it's pixels, you can just erase that happy accident from ever happening. Like with my patterns, for example, in the, in the older method, I would, if I made a mistake, I would have to flow that into another pattern. I would have to draw on top of the mistake, especially with some of, you know, you work with, with Sumi Inc., which is, uh, you know, yeah, beautiful. Um, so if you wanted to speak to how we are in an era of basically being able to edit around, paint, paint things in, do everything digitally, and, and speaking as someone who, who keeps to the old ways, but also the timeless ways. <laughs> well, I, you know, I can, I guess I could fluff my pillow 
it's just I'm naturally more inclined. I grew up, you know, I grew up before computers and before, and I and I was coming up professionally when we were, you know, the high tech way of communicating with a publisher you were interested in was sending a fax. I mean, so it's it's easy for me to lean on traditional media because that's where I come from. It's mm. it's just my baseline, you know. So I I I do use. Photoshop, but I got to be honest, no more than just a glorified paste-up machine. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> I think my rule with it has always been to never do anything with it that you couldn't do in a darkroom, you know, like a traditional mechanical uh, photographic darkroom. So, and that, that, you know, so I don't really, I don't really, you know, I have a nice iPad. I don't use it to draw. I tried. It's just not, I just don't like the experience of drawing digitally. It's very... Mm. It feels disconnected. Um, there's no haptic response to it. I know uh, that you know the, the the Apple Pencil and the kind of paper covering for your screen. It gets really close, but it's still just not <laughs> there. It's getting better, and I'm sure it's going to always just get better. But for me, it's just you know my fingers aren't getting dirty. I, I don't um, working with having to think about tools and what to use and select. It's a it's a uh, right-sided brain thing that's going on there. And mm. when I'm working and I'm doing it right, it's kind of a, it's all left. It's just happening. You know, I'm, I'm working, I'm smudging with my thumb, you know, like it just, all the stuff that I need is, is kind of right there and immediate and I can touch it. I can, you know, I have to clean my hands, you know, all that experience of it to me is, um, you know, uh, it's just more reflective in a way that I, and responsive and it, and it, it seems because it's physical and regardless of how much we exist in kind of this new digital based world that we're falling further and further into, we're still physical people. I think this is why uh, records are making a huge comeback right now. I think people are, they're yearning to touch things and to hold things and own their media rather than um, be at the whims of a company through a subscription service. Um, I mean, I still still running like i don't even know what operating system on this imac i've got here so i can use photoshop 5 because i just refuse to subscribe to it I'm, so it's really bananas thank yeah, you i'm still I, on 5 good. cs i think right yeah, it five. is cs i i am also <laughs> part of you know all of the graphics you see for topic archives everything graphically i do i i i do digital cartwheels to avoid photoshop um there's a beautiful oh. yeah <laughs> i know i'm actively looking for an alternative i just uh, contributed to a kickstarter that for this um that is abode that it looks like it's going to be an almost identical um oh answer, i love that oh, the, the flex of abode adobe just that's a flex oh yeah no it's that. really like <laughs> it's an old guy from adobe and it's definitely a big middle finger all across the, i mean all the icons look it's really it gets it gets close to maybe being troublesome for him but i, I don't know i'm curious but i'm i'm looking into other things i just can't i know everything that I, when they went to subscription everything that I remember thinking, oh, God, this is what they're going to do is all the worst imaginable things have come true. And now that they're they're scraping everybody's uh, work that uses it for their this AI garbage, it just makes me want to vomit. So I just can't abide it. You know. We are. So, I, f I feel profoundly seen so, and I hope you feel seen, too. Like I fully hold your energy <laughs> with that. Yeah. There's a few of us out there. Definitely, you know, like 
among my peers, there's definitely an, an avid, I mean, there's some real superheroes out there. Uh, Carla Ortiz just testified in Congress about it. I mean, there's there's folks just really doing incredible work to kind of wake people up to it. The, the problem is AI uh, image making is really sexy and it's really, it's, it's, it's so easy. You don't have to know how to do anything and they'll do it for you. And uh, it's just everything about everything that's cheer-led as its value to me is what makes it horrible and cancerous. So, um, well, we could, we is, could waste the whole, we could, no, it's not even waste. It would be a very additive convo. And I, I can see again, right. as, 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 uh, perfectly lines up with your, uh, you know, creative sensibilities, you are also, um, uh, conversationally uh, omnidirectional <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and, and and vocabularious which i love but um but uh, you know and you know we're going to talk about the last of us that is a definite portrait of a a future that's just you know uh there's some there's some inklings of hope within but i i i, I can sometimes get very greg ruth about it and just feel like vomiting frankly <laughs> you know <laughs> i really can i know i think we we had a. Did, I just saw an article where someone was the, they they were infected by a fungus for the first time because mm. um, they think that the, the, the I guess the premise for The Last of Us was the uh, climate change allowed cordyceps to adapt to hotter environments, which is why they don't live. Mm -hmm. You know why they're not why they infect ants but not us. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently another kind of fungus um, uh, made that leap. Um, and they found it in this guy's throat and they weren't, you know, he was, he was sick and they couldn't treat him. I mean, he wasn't running around trying to tear people's heads off, you know, he just had a fungal disease. Wow. And even if it goes that way, I think it takes more of that shape, more like a COVID on steroids way than it does. Yeah. Um, having magnificently freaky <laughs> rat kings. Indeed. I'm so freaked out about that damn rat. Shout out to um, Craig right now over um, yeah. in Hollywood right now, getting to yeah. write basically Rat King scenes and like, let's fucking go, season two, baby. Um, unless they, unless they decide to split, frankly, um, you know, part two is such an, a massive story. I think they might even split it down the middle, you know? Um, they are. Yeah. 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 Two seasons for part two. And then, um, and it's time. I know that, that HBO is keen on getting uh, all four wheels on the ground as fast as possible for Last of Us um, mm -hmm. as a kind of um, a promise now that the strike is ending. Yes. Um, that's true. But it still takes time. I mean, I, you know, it's it's like waiting for a Cormac McCarthy book. I mean, Craig Mazin, give him it, or George Martin, give them time that they need because when they deliver it, it's it's worth waiting for. So, Beautifully. Um, I think it was always going to take a little bit longer than your typical kind of year to year mm. slotting in, and we want that because I just I just think what what Craig and Neil did for um for that show was just remarkable, and I had not ever played or was familiar with the game before mm. i saw the show i came to the show that was my first contact with that world and, and that narrative and it was really interesting to go backwards to it and then start to working with neil and, and naughty dog um uh and sony and doing like you know in-house last of us work with them has been remarkable and of course has required me to you know uh to play the game and, and to kind of <laughs> go through that and it was you know there's a few things that meet the hype that you hear and this exceeded it by some i just 
I have never seen anything like this. And, you know, I grew up putting quarters into Pac-Man, so this is awesome stuff for me, but I'm not a big gamer. I'm not a narrative gamer, for sure. Um, and it was just, it's just a remarkable interactive novel uh, to go through. It the is. dialogue is terrific. The character stuff is real. I, the Last of Us Part Two, I thought was astonishing and gutting. <laughs> it's so brutal. Yeah. Um, but but so genuinely well done. Uh, it's not it's not like I'm watching uh, like a Saw movie or some torture porn that's just no. you know splattering me in the face as opposed to making the effort to work out meaning and character value that makes things matter. You know, um, it's it just I you know of all the things that I've heard that people were upset about um, Last of Us Part Two, and there's a lot. <laughs> to be upset about i did not like having to be abby trying to beat the shit out of ellie that was really not something I yeah was that's trying Neil. to figure out you know you know you know twin peaks season three last of us part two in many ways lynch and Druckmann had the same idea of like let me just flip a few things around and just put you in a different yeah. place because i value that more than brand adherence and adherence to expectations so i felt immensely oh, valued uh, yeah i felt immensely respected and valued as a as someone like a, a, a recipient of art and a participant because interactive the core of it at its best frankly still very fledgling but the idea of becoming the art yourself that's the core of my interest is if you actually embody yeah. it you know and you, you you fuel it and maybe puppet it temporarily and then the, the hand comes back out and you go back to living your mm -hmm. life but for the for the time that that art came to life you were its author at least it, like a co-author in some respects you know um it's it's yeah it's a thing that i remember like back i think back when i was in school it was just Call of Duty games were coming out. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was even part of that. There was just definitely a sense, and there was a lot of excitement that, and I was starting to come into comics, and um, there was a there was definitely a a feeling that gaming was going to be the future. You know, that the idea of interacting with your narrative, and that kind of you know the internet was new, and we're going to panels when the you know the web had, didn't even really exist yet, and we were everybody was talking. I mean. Neuromancer had just come out and that was the only thing that anyone knew about anything that was coming. Um, and it's funny how dated that book is now as a result, oh. <laughs> but it's just this idea, the way that you interact, the, it's what I find so amazing about the, what, what Craig and Neil Druckmann did for the show. And for Neil, especially to be able to pivot from the fundamentally different kind of storytelling that you do and you need to do when you're interacting, when you're, Joel, when you're Ellie, when you're suddenly Abby trying to, you know, <laughs> it's crazy stuff you're having to participate. And it makes you culpable to what's going on in the story in a way that being an observer of a show or a reader of a book, you're, you're not, you're at fault. I think when you're playing it to a certain degree, you're contributing to that violence, you're enjoying it because uh, we it's pleasure, it's entertainment, you know? And you're not just enjoying, like, you know, some huge, ridiculous Mad Max cars crashing into each other and Warboars dying left and right. You're you're actually actively killing people and just slaughtering and choking them to death. I mean, the way you choke people out in that game is just... I appreciate that it's always so ugly. Yeah. And I, I've always... 
not been afraid of violence in my stories and things that I'm interested in, but I, I do find it very loathsome when violence is made cartoon safe. It feels it feels like there's another level of some kind of it's a distortion. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all about it's all about where it, exactly. It's all about where it comes from. So the impetus, like I love, right. it's one of my most quoted things. You can even approach. You know, on one side, you have Tarantino in that famous interview, where she's like, sure. "Don't you don't you think your films would you know inspire violence? Uh, the violence is fun, Jan. Like I love. So that's that's one point of view where violence is artistically yeah. justified. Then you have right. na- narratively and thematically and philosophically whatever justified uh from from neil's point of view where he's like uh, the first game was a game about love this is a game about hate and he said that right from 2016 on is i want you to feel i want you to feel closer than ever you know especially because of the photorealism it really puts you in these the, the accuracy of like blood spatter and and the correct sounds of like a throat you know you know being stabbed by a knife and like the sounds it would make and all that and he's like through no other form of art short of being on some kind of you know in seattle some you know performance art thing where people are asking you to grab them and like stab them like that's the closest you'll get to actually going through that act yourself and he finds there to be artistic and um humanistic merit in in be and in placing yourself within that space of violence as an empathy deepening exercise and that's um yeah yeah, so you have to. I, I think I don't. I don't think he'd get away with it otherwise. Then it would just be a dumb Call of Duty game, you know, or something. It would just exactly. be hollow, you know, splatter fun, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, and it wouldn't be the storytelling and the character. I mean, it really, it it is so. I mean, I am I'm I'm somebody that's always been deeply fascinated by narrative structures and choices that writers and creators and filmmakers make, and and loving to learn from that and then apply it to my own work. What Neil is doing with part two is just, mm. I mean, it's, it's not just an embrace. I mean, it's so easy to paint Abby as a, as this kind of cookie cutter mustache twirling villain. I mean, she is, she's a colossus. Yeah, I love that. She is just this absolute, like battering, rat. like, um, <laughs> that's right. Like just, you know, MMA giant <laughs> juggernaut of a person, you know, and yet she has a really deep emotional kind of relationship struggle that's going on there. The way it's structured with um, the consequences of violence, whether it's Ellie killing a pregnant woman, which Jesus God, that is oh. just dark, you know? And and then finding out through Abby's story that that was somebody that she knew. You know, like it's just, it, it's that kind of deep, that realization that violence always has a cost and a consequence as it does in our lives and that you know it's not the police that keep us from like all like running in the streets and slaughtering each other we just don't really want to do it i think at the end of the day yeah. in, in cases of extremists i suppose you can have no other choice but to go that route but i think it is just ugly and awful and i think as long as you are and lynch has always been good about this like if you're going to show violence, show it nakedly, truly what it is. It's sad, it's ugly, it's terrible, and it always takes away from the survivor of that violence, even if that survivor is the instigator of that violence. Everything always comes, blood always takes a toll, and watching both Abby and Ellie 
at the end of that second part, they're just, they're both just beef jerkied out, thin and lost and drawn out. And just, they've, they've, they've had so much taken from them by this obsession with anger and revenge that it's just, that becomes a narrative and an affirmation on its own. And I just think if you're, if you're going to use violence, you put it to work and you, you have to make it service what well, you're I, doing and you have to talk about it. Don't, hmm. don't just, you know, have a, 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 a wife character in a film, you know, raped and killed as just a mere motivational yeah. vehicle for the male protagonist. That stuff a is texture, so like upsetting extreme, and yeah. juvenile, exactly. you know, and this yeah. is not that. And I, and I just, I love it for that. It, it, it goes so much deeper than I, than even part one did, or even the show managed to do because even showing even seeing those characters and going through what they went through on the HBO series, it's a very different way of telling the story. And for for Neil to be able to go, I'm putting away all those tools that I'm using on the video game, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna tell, you know, with with Craig Mazin, who's a stunning Chernobyl storyteller as well. I have to mention, I don't know, you if know, you've seen it. it's I, beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Chernobyl's one of the I think just one of the great achievements the last ten years for sure. Mm. Um, it's just it's just. It is not something that should be as absolutely breathtakingly white knuckling as it is. I mean, it's just a it's a very pedantic failure in a lot of ways as a story, but it really the way he tells it, he just knows how to tell everything through this human portal that I think is just exactly how I like to see stories told. And so to be able to suddenly take that story and revamp it in a way and make it function at all of its cylinders in the kind of a screen filmic TV narrative, which are very different tools. You have to make changes. You have to push certain characters back. You have to combine other ones. Um, it's one of the things I've really adored watching between the Expanse show and the novels and knowing that um, I and Daniel, the writers, are in both going back and forth between them and seeing characters that are really three different people from the novels combined into one or characters that because they sang a song that really landed in a way on the set that then they became more pro predominant part of this still loyal narrative but with those changes and i'm never i'm really an anti-continuity guy i just don't care about yeah. uh, continuity issues as much as most people and i i think that when people get really upset that well, you know, the Captain Picard doesn't wear his badge in the right, you know, centimeter order like, where it's supposed to be. From you know, like that about. kind of stuff is bananas. And I feel like if you're starting to pay attention to that stuff, you're either at a fault of your own, not paying attention to the story that's being told to you, or it's a fault of the storytellers in that they're not keeping you involved enough in the story yeah. where that stuff should never matter, you know? Yeah. Um, that's all. It's, yeah. yeah. I, I want to say, I mean, I resonate with everything you've expressed, honestly. A um, couple of things that occurred, because you mentioned something I actually, you know, when I did my uh, first of many Greg Ruth deep dives uh, with sudden <laughs> gravity, I saw one of the, on the Dark, um, dark Horse page, you know, every cure uh, is paid with a curse, you know? And um, once again, duality. And... Uh, yeah. Look at the end of Last of Us Part Two, which you know, three, two, one spoilers. We've already spoiled a whole bunch, but there's a there's a there's a true hollowness. I mean, she's also emaciated. She's 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 lost all the the weight, and, yeah. and there's a, there's a hollowness to to her victories, you know. Um, and yeah, and it even you know it, it even 
tears from you. It 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 causes physical loss to uh, yeah to you know to beget and continue the cycle of violence from that place where where it is beyond mm -hmm. what is necessary or proportionate, and it's a great, yeah. great meditation on that. Definitely, it is. I I don't know. I don't. I, you know. I mean, good God, how? Where does he go with with three? I can see that there's some <laughs> seeds laid. In part two, narrative-wise, but it's a really, I, I, there's, there's something that's really important that that Ethan and I really kind of always believed and and learned to embrace when we were working, which was that it's really important to be scared uh, and to be afraid of the work you're making, to be, to feel like you're on uncertain ground, um, to feel that you don't know whether it's going to work or not, to be in a kind of a a state of kind of controlled managed terror while working is a is a real value and if you're not feeling any fear mm. in what you're doing i you're just too comfortable but we said or it's too comforting you know yeah. and we had um you know we had a lot of great success with Ende, um our graph our first graphic novel about the um patches um and we were going to do in day two i mean there was a lot that we had to leave off the field for and they the the first novel we had a second one pretty much all mapped out uh lozen uh who's one of my all-time favorite uh historical characters we really had to push her back just because there just wasn't the kind of room you either it was like kind of it's a little bit like when you're like assembling like a wedding guest <laughs> party and you can't invite Aunt Susie because then if you invite Aunt Susie, you've got to invite all these 17 yeah. other people in. Or And it's, sometimes it's just easier not to invite Aunt Susie. And unfortunately, Lozen was Aunt Susie in that situation. But we had this incredible story that we wanted to tell with her. And we were really Can't eager wait. to go. And doing Meadowlark instead was an act of embracing that terror. Because in a lot of ways, we felt like, I mean, Inde was a terrifying um, thing for us to do on so many levels. Um, but having done it, it was it was fun and exciting to go back in and to do more. But it wasn't, it didn't feel like the stakes, there, it felt like there were nets everywhere. We knew what to do, what not to do. We weren't having to figure out a lot of the stuff that scared us before. Um, but doing a kind of a, uh, <clears throat> something completely different, a kind of a localized crime story that's set in Texas, uh, and 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 becomes a mouthpiece for he and I, who both had boys at the time, that were around. You know, they were the same age, and they were very much around the same age as the characters in the book. To kind of use that to process through the struggles and the difficulties we were having with our own sons, um, very very terrifying stuff. And whether or not it would work, you know, whether or not it would function, it's. Every time I've gone to the scary thing and taken the scary leap as opposed to the safe leap, I've always been rewarded for it. So it's not, it doesn't make it less scary, I'm finding. <laughs> um, as time goes on and I've done it a lot, it, it's still, and in fact, it gets more terrifying to be perfectly honest because there's so much more that you have to lose as you get older. Um, well, I, but I, it's always uh... been a better, it's always been the way to go. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to, you know, I'm a hiker and I, I always find, you know, not of the crazy variety. I'm trying to move into more into bouldering and like some of those vistas and stuff. But the metaphor here is if you do your preparation, then you can be and my 
bouldering friends like they go up and they they're hanging by their, their, their hands or whatever but they're like they've done the preparation though um, they've they've gone right. through it but there's like there's never a moment where i'm not terrified but i there's also a never a moment where i'm not maximally exhilarated knowing that i've taken this bigger risk brings that exhilaration right. but not in a in a um you know uh, a daredevil kind of way it's it's it is to know that a certain level of satisfaction and fulfillment artistically and mm -hmm. as a human being can only come with risk and discomfort. And yeah, my fiance, she's yeah. a life mentor. She talks about, you know, a lot of what we, um, like the, the most worthwhile and self and deepest authenticity we, we, we come into is through, uh, confronting discomfort, you know? And yeah. I mentioned Bowie earlier. He said, I like to never feel like I'm either on the shore or way out at the ocean. He's like, when I was, uh -huh. when he would make his albums, he said, my perfect feeling is like I could step to the left and not feel the water underneath me, step a bit back and then feel a bit of sand. And just in uh -huh. that area of basically constant, but, uh, underlyingly positive discomfort, you know, which is which yeah. is also rich yeah. as well. Yeah, I think I, I think that's. I I just saw somebody. I don't remember where the quote is from. Somebody had mentioned that I that he was describing. He says the reason why artists and creatives are different is that they're willing and able to sit in periods of discomfort and anxiety longer than everybody else, Perfect. and it's because it's through that that being on the edge of the volcano or being lost that's where you find really interesting things and you can't find them if you're not lost i i you know i i love we you know i live up in the the western part of massachusetts which is all just hills and country and very rural it's not like boston or anything like that at all um and it's very there's not that many roads so eventually if you just follow any road you'll it'll eventually poop you out someplace to another road at least that you're familiar with so getting lost is you know, anecdotal, but there's a lot of times where I love just getting on these like little back roads and I have, I have no internal compass. So I am truly have no idea where I am. It's fantastic. But I also know that push comes to shove, Google maps will bring me home. You know, like there is having that, that line out really, I think is important to have that structure, whether it's like we did with my graphic novels where we, we write, a really fully realized script. We ignore a lot of it or I'll, you know, it'll change, you know, because the script is not the movie in the same way a comic script is never the, the book or shouldn't be. Um, but it's it's great to have those those markers there. So you know, like, well, if, you've, if you're running in this field and you're going, you're not just running wild in an uncarved landscape, there are little poles that you have to hit this character needs to reach this point by this point so but you can yeah. do whatever the hell you want in between those two points so there's room to be creative and 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 kind of build the road as you're walking it and allow the process to give you those ideas that you aren't always going to have when you're calculating out a script yeah. um but then you can be you always know like as long as i land back here the structure is going to hold it'll always hold together to a certain degree and make a lot more sense um, it's, I, I often describe when Ethan and I are working this sense that I am allowed to swim out. I will swim out further and further out into the ocean, knowing that there's a fish hook in my shirt with a line that pulling back in if I go too far away and a good editor should be that to you. Yeah. Um, I was an originally, um, started art school as an architecture student. It was a mistake. Um, 
when I was in high school, and we, we had a class where we had to design a, a daycare center on this corner lot in this neighborhood. And I was doing research and I found that in terms of positioning where things are, if, if you have like an open space and it goes right to the street and the sidewalk and there's traffic and all that kind of stuff and there's no fence, uh, the kids will not use the field. They'll, they'll huddle around the building. They'll play right. close to the building. If you put a fence up around it, it invites this enormous amount of freedom and they will use the entire field and they'll push right up against that fence and they'll use every square inch of that yard. And there, there's something really, there's a real truth in there, I think, with regards to creating or uh, any kind of harrowing life decisions is to recognize that that fences make freedoms um, cliche has a real ring of truth to it. It really it does. does. It gives you a sense of you're not floating in outer space lost and not knowing where up and down is. Mm-hmm. It gives you a compass. It gives you a direction to a certain degree. It gives you something to fight against. It's a you know, having an obstacle to climb over is how you get better at climbing over obstacles when you meet them without planning. You're, so, well, you're sounding you a bit this. like I want to say. Um, well, the kinship with you and 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 Naughty Dog runs deep. I, I can quote back so much of what you expressed. I've heard Neil say directly, and mm-hmm. he mentions this notion of wide linear. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. there is an overall direction. There's there's an overall direction set on the compass, but. If it is too artificially controlled, there, that like the whole impetus of the journey is lost. It takes away from the motivation of even wanting to finish the journey. If you see too much ahead of you, you want a, a bit of fog, and you want it's. It is that that notion of the thing that has balance, like just how yeah. we how we how we walk. It's the one steady step after another. You're not only not yeah. going in a circle, uh, you're also not going nowhere. You're going somewhere with. With variety, wide linear is is the in-house naughty good yeah. naughty dog term for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great. I love that. That's so smart. I, I, I just think it's. I think it's entirely true. If if you're not, you have to be the first fan of your work, you and you have to excite yourself to do it. I, you know, I always feel like you. I want to make things that I want to see and read, and if I'm not doing that, then there's. It's like I've I've taken on you know I've done a lot of jobs that I had to do for to to feed my kids mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of jobs that I would do for little or no pay because I love to do it and and a lot of stuff in between and and luckily somehow at this stage now after all these decades most of what I'm doing is stuff that I also like to do I actually haven't really had to do a lot of grunge work yeah. Because I didn't want to, you know, just to do that, which is a gift. And I don't know how much longer I can get away with it, but at some point, the balloon's going to pop and I'm going to be back in the grind of it. <laughs> Regardless, though, the work that comes out of that kind of work that's missing the, the excitement and that kind of engagement that makes you think in those ways is is dead. It's just always dull work. All the oh. book covers I look at that I did as a favor or I just did it for... You know, for whatever reason, that wasn't the kind of like the reason that made us switch from Ende to Meadowlark, where we just our hearts were in another place that we wanted to feed. And following that, I mean, I had a job that was being offered me at that time that was um, just bananas. Uh, it was to adapt Hamilton. Um, it was at the height of the Hamilton rage, and I was supposed to take it on and. Um, you know, we spoke with um, Lynn 
Manuel. And it just, it was, it was not something you say no to. And I said no to it. Well, I think that that uh, is a a credit to your, and again, you can say artistic integrity, but it also, and I kept seeing this word in in many um, passages that you've expressed because, you know, I also wanted to make sure we covered new ground again with this this discussion. But you said it is my interest that drives me. It is my inspiration that drives me. And and it's it's also, you know, it it, it aligns you with Lynch and aligns you and puts you shoulder to shoulder with him and Druckmann because Druckmann said, I honestly would not have made part two if it didn't need to exist and whether i had a fire and an actual interest because people can mouth that sentence off as a byline and interviews to be like no this came from a real place but in the back of their mind they're like yeah but um you know lana wachowski for example resurrections in many ways it's a protest in the form of a film uh and it's right. it's, it's it's yeah and we could talk about that as well but um but but you've really tied into what we've expressed at the beginning, which is that disconnect, that dissonance with artifice, which is that if you're not actually connected with it, if if the pencil isn't touching paper, and again, to each to love and light to people who do the digital art, but I, I, I actually have this notion of, I researched the tulpa and the idea of willing something into being, and right. you yourself, an organic living being, the plant, the paper itself coming from, sounds very pretentious, but it's true though. I think even Ethan even said it's like be okay with being a pretentious. It's a it's not it doesn't have to be a bad word. It's it's <laughs> you it's you a living being interacting with yeah. what has basically come from a living being paper. You're going yeah. through and then you'll have and I remember from some of these big artworks I've done that took days and days. I'd get a I'd get a stub or I um I'd I'd hurt my finger. You know, there's that that yeah. I don't I don't know if there's a colloquial thing, but the. Uh, the artist's indent into the thumb, you know, that painful, like, uh, but that is all the weaving of blood and vessels and life. So there's literally a point at which an artwork actually has definitionally more life to it. And I see that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. It's not even, you're, you're actually doing it. It's, 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 you know, the lights can go out, you can lose power to your computer and you can, you're still making that work. That's, you know, it, it is that kind of, you you get from it more when you're doing it than when if you're you know clicking away i shared an agent with john muth and and dave mckean and kid williams and all these guys and i these were all the heroes that got me into comics and to be able to be in a group with them has been amazing um and we just lost alan spiegel uh, this last summer who was my manager and, and theirs for 30 40 years um and i remember being at in alan's booth and 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 John would do a demonstration. He did these. He he's just one of the most extraordinary Sumi ink masters I've ever seen in my life. And he would just sit down. In a, I mean, in the middle of this insane convention, he always like got on the floor and he put out a piece of paper and it's all very calm and he's just he's got this insane giant Sumi brush and he just starts dipping and he just you can see that he's making a mark and he's thinking about it. And I can't see what the hell is happening. You know, like, I don't know what that mark is for. I don't know what his brain is. You know, like, it just seems like, I don't know. It's a bunch of pieces. I'm not sure where the Frankenstein is. And then at some point, he'll just kind of draw it all together. And then, boom, you realize, like, he's every mark has been absolutely purposeful towards this thing. And it just makes it. And to see those moments of consideration, the way the wide linear the brush moves yeah (laughs) and you know it's just you're you're being taught by the process in a way that i i don't feel when i'm doing digital work and i know a lot of 
people who make art digitally. Um, and I'm not talking about AI. AI is not art, and I would never, uh, I would never sully that word by yeah, yeah. attaching it to AI stuff. But, yeah. but you know, people that draw in Procreate or any of that stuff, there's some remarkable, amazing, amazing stuff that gets done. And there's artists like Carla or Cynthia Shepard that just do paintings that are just breathtaking in a way that I don't even understand how they're able to, you know, just through the sheer, like, brute force of their insane will are able <laughs> to make it into something that looks... Like, you know, you see that they clearly had that struggle and they're they're scumbling and there's a kind of that angry stabbing that you do with your paintbrush sometimes when you're fighting, you're actually physically fighting with the medium that you're working in. I I just, you know, it's possible. It's there. You know, Mm. I don't know how to get there. I I certainly recognize my limitations um, and and certainly prejudice um, that won't let me go there. But there's some great stuff that's being done there. And I know. From hearing from like my friend um, Yuko Shimizu, like all the students coming in, they're all just doing digital now. No one's really oh, that's, that's working practically, harrowing. and I that that bums me out. Them. Yeah, I mean, because I've spoken with Richie Beckett. I don't know if you know his, you know, Cross Hatching and Skinner mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and and Paul Shipper as well, and and they are they also similar to yourself have have gotten to a point where right. they can, um, you know, it, it is it is driven from their interest. Like they they are, but they're had a similar sentiment to you which is like i know that the other shoe is going to drop and i'll have to fall in line and i'll I'll, you know but at this stage i i I, i'm i really do celebrate that each of you in your way have found you know i think you phrased it this way like a recession proof you know it's like when one thing is down i can bring up the other one i love that but but yeah you you always want to have a lot of legs on your table especially in this in this shtick as well. I mean, you, when, you want when sort of a rat, a rat king, thing. a rat king. If you, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. A rat, a rat king with many, many, many legs. Many legs. Oh, I'm still upset. My son had to come in and rescue me from that scene. I, I couldn't. Um, I just couldn't get through it. I couldn't figure out how to kill that bastard. I, I misspent maybe all my ammo earlier. I don't know. He just got in there, you know. And he's a kid that grew up with this stuff, <laughs> and he was just able to kind of help me get, get through that stage. I just, you know, there was a there was a there was a part in part one where I just, I was on that thing for a week trying to get past this. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way through it. Um, mm. I will say it's one of the things that I credit Druckmann for doing in those games is that there is a tram line that you're going to, you know, he is keeping you on a track and that, you know, that after a while, if you're clearly lost, he'll, <laughs> yeah. you know, he'll point over there, but it's not obvious. You still have to find it. You still have to do it. You're still going to go where he's going because there's a story being told. It's not an open um, gameplay field where you can just run around and do whatever you want, like uh, Grand Theft Auto style or whatever. But there's a real story that you're following. And I think that that is really deftly done in the way that things are laid out. I think there's there's certainly a thing that I've always admired about David uh, Lynch's work is his understanding that he'll hold you in really uncomfortable places. You're going to be lost. If you are somebody that needs to have spoon, be spoon fed every single place that you are and constantly reaffirmed about what's going on, you will hate his films and his yes. stories because there's so much about it is about surrendering to that hide that you're on and trusting your, the, um, the director to and the storyteller to kind of take you to that place. Um, it's just, Untethered. it's so rewarding when you give it that yeah. trust, you know. 
hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for listeners, uh, I want to say immediately before we continue with the rest of this wonderful conversation, gregthings.com. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. I I find your site to be so satisfying on my. I used to be OCD. Now it's just it's it's just transformed into a, 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 an intense appreciation for organization. And um, so please jump on <laughs> and. There's so much. I still, I accidentally deleted. I had had a really good running, very accurate uh, catalog of all the published work I'd done, and I, I ended up cutting and dumping rather than. (laughs) Anyway, I have to start. I don't even know if I'll ever recover all of it. It's just there's just too much. Well, it's work, okay. uh, yeah. and it's really hard to organize. It's taking us years uh, with the new assistant. Um, <laughs> well, if you ever need an archivist to jump in, I, I, you know, <laughs> I that's what I do. I, I love archiving, and hence the name of topic archives. But, but what I wanted to say yeah. to people who have now, especially since you've we've been speaking for a bit, you can see the through line of Greg across these worlds of uh, Twin Peaks and and Last of Us, and you know Dune as well, which we we also initially connected through that. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, as someone, as you mentioned, that you read it very early on, you know, and you're awesome. bringing, like, it kind of helped you, like, okay, it sounds like, you know, um, you know, another fellow, uh, you know, Austin, Texas eclectic, his name's JD Cronice, and he is the lyricist and writer and, and, and singer of The Sword, and he, he, in the midst of, you know, Texas is very Texas, but he would read his, uh, you know, he'd listen to his Queensryche, and he's, Jack Chalker and um, watch his uh, Forbidden Planet stuff and and yeah. I've by the way and you are part of an amazing lineage we also have friends of the friends of the show Prince Rama as well Nimai Larson who's from Texas and they make like transcendental you know uh um, transport of music and one of my notes actually later I guess we can park the bus here but you know your art especially with with Twin Peaks uh, you know I, I very much resonate with it on a transcendental level because I I'm my ism if, if I even have one is is that it's everything ism you know and especially right. in the in especially in the White Lodge there's such a you know people even said like you predicted multiple things from that show just from how profoundly you connected with the idea of everything being able to be everything um and uh i want to say again uh it's it i just feel an intense uh, resonance and, and appreciation for someone who has uh who, set, who, who have yeah that like their their core is this ever oscillating omnidirectional outside but also omnidirectional inside like you know the uh, it, it sort of makes me think of that that golden sphere like that's 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 a greg ruth right there <laughs> doing, doing his greg ruth thing you know um it's yeah. it's definitely something I, it's i it's what i love about deep rewarding complex narratives when there's when you can plumb deep depths it's it, that's when it really hooks me in and gets me excited about mm-hmm. something like that um and, and with david's work i'd been i'd been you know hard on board with um, his work since Blue Velvet. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that in the movie theaters when, I, when it came out. It's just, you know, it was just remarkable thing to see. And I, I've been following ever since. And Eraserhead is still one of my top five. So I mean, it's one of the only films I've ever watched and then started it over again immediately and then seen it right again afterwards. Hmm. Passion well, of uh, Joan of Arc is the other one. That, that's one of my uh, Carl Theodore Dwyer's uh, silent masterpiece. But anyway, I think a lot of that. <laughs> Things get predictive when you get down into 
um, the kind of roots and the kind of the, the, the mathematics and the, the, the kind of quantum level that's going on in someone in a creative person's mind, and you start to kind of get to explore and see what they're putting together, then it's very easy to come up and to almost, it seems like kind of prescient or predictive events and models. I, I remember when I was working on the Matrix comics and one of the things that we had done, I had done a short story called Hunters and Collectors for them, but that was actually going to be the beginning of a whole series of things. We were going to do full books, getting into this idea, because I was really fascinated about people who had never been inside the Matrix, that had grown up in this world as it was, and we didn't really see a lot of what that meant. And, mm. and having these guys have to go out in the real world and identify what's what's real, what was what is their real past, you know? Is a Snickers bar a thing that actually existed, or is this something that the you know, the agents have invented for the matrix and it's not true. And, and to be able to go out and find evidence like, Hey, I've got a rapper. This is, this is a real thing of our history, you know, versus the lies that they were all incubated in. Um, and I was doing some work for, I think it was before Reloaded had come out and we, um, and I had done a piece, I think they needed a poster piece and I'd done this piece of uh, Trinity flamboyantly leaping, you were kind of looking down, you know, from the top of the skyscraper, she burst out through this window, and she was firing guns back behind her as she was flying out backwards out the window. And of course, Reloaded hadn't come out yet. And so I ended up getting a call from Spencer, and (laughs) they had, um, um, the Wachowskis were <laughs> frightened, they thought it had leaked out. They're like, "Have you? Used, we we can't use this because wow. it literally is spoiling an opening the sequence of the movie that you haven't <laughs> seen yet." And so yeah. it's just upsetting, you know. And it, it, I think the first re- reaction was like, "This is how did you see this? Did some did Spencer spill something?" You know, like everybody was like suddenly really, you know, with IPs like this, and even it wasn't as bad as it is now. There was a real fear that something had gotten out in the world to a certain degree. And it took a, I remember there was a lot of phone calls where I had to just be like, no, I just, this is just, you know, I've been so inside of this world and working with all these kind of parts and expanding on these parts that they had laid down. And they were always so generous and excited to see where you could take these things. Um, It just bubbles up into a predictive moment where you suddenly are doing the thing you know and it's just it's yeah. when you're doing that it's like looking at the clock and seeing and then it's 11 11 every day it you know you're kind of whatever you're doing you're on some kind of proper path you're doing it right if if the results are starting to if the story is starting to write itself and you become more passenger to it um, well, when i'm I, writing that's always been the case when the characters start correcting me on how they would interact with each other in my head hmm. i know i've got them right because they're alive enough to know who they are in opposition to what I want them to do, which is, <laughs> which is great fun as a creative person, I think. Absolutely. And it made me think that, like other creators who you've already gravitated to, I have a Greg Ruth wish list later, and Hideo Kojima is on it, and we'll talk about that. But um, I believe that um, in, you know, there's that beautiful scene in the Animatrix where it's the runner and he he's, he's straining himself and he glimpses, mm. he glimpses the other world because he's just pushed himself and he, he sees himself in the pod and everything. And that story goes that way. But then there are other stories of people who do successfully, like, and I call it really um, the three E's. Like, you can, you can be so empathetic, so eclectic, <laughs> as in open to things, and so, mm-hmm. like, 
you know resonant with esotericism um right. that you can you can push that so far that you do genuinely get glimpses and that informs you know that was prescient of you because you had so connected with the material that it, it is definitely no mere coincidence that because you had connected with it on that yeah you, you can empathy your way into unhooking yourself from time space and being able to look around a little bit and um sure. and and kojima did the same thing with death stranding which i see you as a natural for, for ds2 i think blink twice if they've already contacted you but i, I think especially with your <laughs> resonance with last of us i think sony have are very much aware of greg ruth and ds2 mm. with leia sudu and some of these 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 big names i think you know, with her and Dune, which I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about Dune later, but, but, um, sure. but yeah, so Kojima, definitely. I have Hodorowski as one of my, I really need, mm. to, I need to see some Greg Ruth, uh, you know, uh, Greg Ruth taking, taking on the Holy Mountain and some of his imagery well, I think would be really interesting. She's so bananas. I know, I know, <laughs> I, I love, uh, you know, uh, yeah. It, what a banana he's, he's a very banana uh, creator i've thing. always loved that i've got a whole download of every page of that dune um bible that that he had created for his um and 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 i'm saying this as there is no way on earth that that film would have ever been good or worked um i uh, think i know i I, know. I i get into uh a lot of scraps with uh, fellow dune friends about that because i know that the jodorowsky dune is the kind of you know the kind of great what if, but I think it would have just been it an absolute been car crash. It, <laughs> it would, would, it, I completely agree with you, uh, especially with like the yeah. Souda car. What is it? They drop their pants and shit and stuff. And Charlotte Rampling, <laughs> Charlotte <laughs> Rampling was it's saying, just like he yeah. just goes way off the map. Yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> the, the multicolored ships, like it's just it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I think the best thing that could have ever happened from that <laughs> is what happened, and because of it, we have you know. It inspired so many things from Blade Runner to Alien to, yeah, you know, I'm just, it, 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 there's it was no seed. way. It was a seed, you know, it yeah. gave birth. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the stem of a bunch of beautiful flowers that I'm grateful yeah. for. And I would never, ever, I, I think if it had itself become its flower, I think it would have poisoned that property for generations. And I don't yes. think it, it would have poisoned all of the things that made its failure so inspiring to others well and put. gave them a reason to do it. Um, you need to have a John the Baptist if you're going to have yourself a you Jesus. Need, you know what you I mean? Need, um, you need to have the, the, yeah, the preview so, one, the exactly. beta version. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, and you, you again, another thing to 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 affirm what you mentioned before about the importance of restrictions you know the importance of fences yeah. like a roger christian to come in uh to a what is it like 20 something or 30 young 30 something lucas and say no we can't do three death stars we can only do one like this very yeah. kind of you know utilitarian uh like like sorry we, we don't have time to create a specific mold for this here you go let me just get you know a bloody you know torch or something and so they they then they created the iconic lightsaber design but um but yeah, yeah. I agree. It's uh, yeah, and so, but all I want to say is, I'm grateful that um, I think I can imagine. I don't know. Do you think on the set of uh, Dune, Charlotte said, "Look between takes, like Denny, just want to say, really grateful you're not getting any of us to like shit our pants." Like, that's really great, you know. <laughs> For create, you know, because she, because she was, she was. Oh into, my I think god! She, I think didn't she even auditioned. know. Didn't I know. Even know. Oh my god! Because you know? it's also, it's not that well known. I mean, it's well known in our circles, but outside of our pods, I don't no. know that Jodorowsky's <laughs> Dune is, is really in the 
consciousness. I mean, I, I've always just, I, I, I still wait for someone to finally get that thing licensed and print that thing. Because that mm-hmm. book is the best thing that came out of that. It was that, that magnificent Mobius-drawn um, oh. story Bible is absolutely stunning. And I, and I hate that I have to look at it on my on a screen that I can't hold it. So I'd love to see that thing. So I think it's, okay. I think it's a deeply inspiring forgotten piece of art. I don't think most people have seen it. It's, it's the most Mobius work in one setting that I think has ever existed. And oh, we're, yeah. we're not getting it. Oh, well. um, Whatever. I know some um, yeah, finance bro, like overpaid for it and now regrets <laughs> yeah. having bought one of those <laughs> stupid copies. Which yeah. of course we all delight in watching one of those guys fall on their face and that so NFT collapse. But oh, I would like just... to see it get printed. But I'm glad they never made it. I, I love Denise's uh, take on Dune. I think yeah. he's. I love. I really like David's as well. I think his characters and the casting and the sets were just unmatched, um, and are still today. The Muppet Worms and the Toto. You know, Greg. With all that... due respect, I would rather we did not speak about Dune if that's all right with you. <laughs> it is, and I, I, I've never, I've never drawn, and I, you know, we got to work with David on the Twin Peaks thing, and I just, yeah. I would never feel okay even drawing oh, from that good. Dune film because I know how much pain uh, he feels um, from that experience. That was just, that was a, that was the wrong. That was the wrong film for him to do. I think he learned a lot from it. I think it reaffirmed his the path that he was on that he got off of to make that film. I think it kind of fortified him about the value of trusting his own voice and vision. And I think we got, you know, we did get, um, you know, more from it. We got Twin Peaks and Wild at Heart and Lost Highway and all of those things that followed from it. Um, and I don't think we would have had it had he not gone through that pain. But I, he, I know, I know he suffered so much from it, and I know it still pains him when it comes up. And I just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be a source. I think you <laughs> for somebody you, you respect, as they say, beautifully read the room with with that collaboration. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're good, I'll yeah. just even uh, rapid fire a lot of these because I definitely am. Highly respectful of your time. In fact, why not now? On video, Greg, I sincerely apologize for many months ago. It was, uh, we had not reached a certain level of, um, I guess, organization with, with topics. I, I do want to apologize. No, it's fine. And it, we, it's very hard to, yeah, no, it's, there's a lot to do. I, yeah, there's a lot to do. And okay. there's a lot that needs doing. So no, it's no. not even a thought. I don't. Okay. I. I'm not. I've never been able to put energy into grudges or any okay. kind of right. disappointments. Well. Everybody screws up. I mean, if I, I would have to deny myself permission to fuck up every day. <laughs> and I certainly <laughs> do need that permission because today was a day full of fuck ups. That's for sure. But what I will um, do is I will. Um... Uh, do my diligence and I, this is something I won't even really be able to help myself from doing is um, as I go along because we do have a Matrix podcast we have everything that Greg has dipped his that you've dipped your lens into uh, it's only a matter of time before we have the Greg Ruth podcast <laughs> at some point because I, I do love my chronic trust me trust me and that's kind of my life mission it's very probably counts as clinical insanity is I do want to create the mm-hmm. most anti-algorithmic um, decentralized beautifully comprehensive earnest mostly archiving but then beautiful you know conversations with creators like yourself like archive that just is for yeah. those people who like myself I just I want that resource to be there so but anyway yeah. to, the, 
to this rapid fire, if I may say, I need you to do an album cover for the Melvins. That's something that needs to happen. Oh, the Melvins. Yeah, that would be great. There's yeah. a, there's a, that actually isn't impossible. I, I can't really speak to it yet. There's okay. been, you know, Mondo kind of collapsed and changed into something else over the last, over the summer and last spring. And mm. a lot of the core guys left and they've all started rooting and growing new things in different places. And, a lot of them are in LPs, which is very exciting for me because I've mostly spent the last year doing LP work and I just am in love <laughs> with the medium. I've always loved uh, LPs. I grew up with them. So to be able to to go back there and to be able, you know, it's just to be able to design. I'm a two-dimensional person, but a package for a record is, is so many dimensions of storytelling that you get to take place with um, Severance being the kind of oh, the, the pinnacle of that that was the most that was that was one of the first times where I felt like someone had let you know there's like a dog that hasn't been taken out for a walk in like six yes. days and they, you let the door <laughs> out and they just go bolting and running off to the horizon and I, I kept waiting for someone to call me back home or to collar me um, <laughs> but my partner on that Spencer and I were just feeding each other in the most wild ways and I, I just I don't think there was anything that we came up with that we didn't end up doing for this thing Beautiful. and we were able to do it it just yeah, it just it's a medium that's really terrific and great so a Melvin's thing would be really fun I have a huge record collection and I, I'm a big fan of uh, music um, mm. of all genres and Beautiful. to be able to start doing album stuff I mean just getting to do this Sid Barrett box set for oh. um uh vmp was just um i mean what a fantastic gift to be able i mean like just below i would there's a lot of times where i if i could just get in a time machine and go whisper in my ear when i was yeah. 13 years old i would there would be some shitting outside of the car as it drives by <laughs> in a glorious way and that, that's one of those i was a huge sid barrett guy um mm. uh when i was young and and so it's just it's amazing to be able to return to it and be part of that kind of stuff and I, I'm with big Pink Floyd. This is a Pink Floyd house, as they say, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. I need, I, I would desperately love, uh, uh, and I would sweep up the whole set, the first edition, of course, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Something was pouring from his mouth. He examined his sleeve. Blood? Blood. Crimson, copper-smelling blood. His blood. Blood. Blood blood and bits of sick greetings traveler i'm garth Marenghi, horror writer most of you will probably know me already from my extensive canon of chillers including afterbirth in which a mutated placenta attacks bristol we cannot let this uh, beautiful um okay so you're familiar with the mighty, the mighty boosh um, yes. So the Mighty Boosh, and then you have the IT crowd, and so tonight, and I'm I'm so glad because now I get to be the person that gives you this gift. So it is. Um, uh, okay. What's it called now? So Garth Marenghi, but just write the word Dark Place. If you go Dark Place BBC Comedy, it's essentially um, a, a fictional 1980s sitcom that is a Lovecraftian story that takes place in a hospital. It's a comedy. Um, but the premise is that it got cancelled after one season and it is the creator of it, this guy, Garth Marenghi, and he's talking you through each episode. And it's sort of, 
each episode is a is clips of the episode, but it's also clips of behind the scenes, and it's got mm-hmm. Rich, Richard Ayoade, you know, in it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you'll notice mm-hmm. a lot of people in Marengi they ended up going and doing big films. I think Simon Pegg even shows up at some point. So I'm very glad. Oh, right. Very honored, oh, honored. I will definitely have that. I love that. Okay. And I love seeing like all those. It's just it's great to see all the little beginnings, you know, the little bit parts that you know. This is my first film job, love and it. you know, you're like, oh my god, you know. That's um, great. That's great. I'll definitely check it out. Dark, dark place. Dark right, place. Gonna... Yeah, you'll love it. And it's all free on YouTube, so don't have to subscribe to anything. It's all yeah. But I think if you did some character, you know, beautiful portrait series, which you're you're so adept at, and I love them so much. Um, uh, I have here. Um, so rendezvous with Rama. You know the. Oh well, and Denise very... doing that film. That's Denise doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think after Messiah, I, after the third Dune film, he's which will be based on to... Dune Messiah. I think. I know that he's. Well, I mean, it's been optioned. He's got it to do it. Take a long there's time. always a lot of time between that and getting it done. And to be honest, the more and more I work in film and behind it and see the more absolutely bewildering that statement is true <laughs> that it is hard to believe that anything ever gets ever done. gets made but um i think he would do a s- splendid job with uh, with rama and i that was one of the and i'm a i'm a big arthur c clark fan so i loved all those books but it's you know it's definitely one of those books that just threw nothing but imagery you know, in my head, and it, again, like Childhood's End, which is a genius mm-hmm. piece of work. It's it's like two hundred pages. It's this paper thin. It's this huge, giant thing, and this tiny, tiny little pamphlet mm-hmm. of a book. It's just it's just remarkable. Um, so yeah, Rondé was right. I would that would be really fun. That's Beautiful. it. That's it. I'm a big Oumuamua um, <laughs> person, so that that lines up very well with my uh, my already predisposed aesthetics. Yeah. I love it. I want to ask, obviously, conscious of time. I have a few more, but um, just wanted to do a chime in. Uh, no, are we good? No, are we good keep We're here. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, uh, one of your um, exchanges, conversations you had mentioning Hayao Miyazaki, uh, the boy, oh. the boy and the heron. I would love to see if um, that's, yeah. that's the one I've not seen. There's three Miyazakis I still haven't seen yet, and the boy and the heron is not is, is one of them. I can't His wait. first in I've ten had- years. Yeah, it came out. It premiered in um, Toronto Film Festival like two weeks mm. ago. He's been working on it for ten plus years, and so, yeah, oh, beautiful. Okay, all right. Um, oh, I can't wait! I can't wait. I still, so I've got the Wind Rises on Blu-ray just sitting here on my desk. I still haven't played that yet. It's, it's. I remember when I was getting to know George Pratt and back in the early days. Oh my God, like twenty years ago, Jesus. <laughs> And, and one of the things he warned me was like, well, Greg, you start working this business of comics, you're going to stop reading comics. And I just thought, like, how in the world? Like, why would that ever be a response to the thing that you love that you now want to go do? Why would you then stop enjoying the thing you love that made you want to do that? Like, how does it? And you start to realize, like, oh, the more you work in it, the more it becomes work. And the last thing you want to do at the end of the day working on comics all day is read a goddamn comic. And it's true, you know, the... I, I see so many films and I get to see and work with so many stories like this and it's just it doesn't leave a lot of time to sit down and watch what you want to watch you know it's crazy so this is why I'm giving myself a reason why I've been ignoring you uh, <laughs> um, and I, I have to put this on that list too there's just so much good stuff there I can't wait 
That's mm -hmm. beautiful. And I want to even the say... The Bonnie sounds great. I can't wait to see it. Oh, I, will, I'll, I won't whisper a word of... of uh, they've done a pretty good job. And what a... Um, sure. What a beautiful and Greg Ruthian, if I might say, strategy they did in Japan. Um, they said like no TikToks, no social media posts, nothing. This is like they just Suzuki and Haya were like la la la. This isn't 2023. This is 1997. We're just going to release it with not even a trailer. They they just did a teaser poster. So I love hard, it. I, that's cool. the way when I was growing up, you <laughs> didn't too. know a movie was coming out until it came out. <laughs> you didn't know that there was going to be a Star Wars until Star Wars was out. Or, you know, like, I didn't know there was going to be a sequel to that film until it, it appeared this weekend at the Cineplex. It's just, well, there yeah. there is something we lost, I we think. And I think we get wonder. too much information uh, too early in a lot of ways. And I, and I do respect a lot of people that keep very tight lips about projects they're doing. And I love seeing something like, I didn't know um, that the creator was coming. I haven't seen it yet. I hear it's really great. Beautiful. You love it. Um, we're speaking with Maddie, actually, the little girl. She's coming on the Creator Podcast with us. She's she's uh, oh, is that right? Talking about Oscar things with her because she goes as a such a munchkin. She's only seven, but she is like a, she holds like the spirit of Buddha in her throughout the film. It's beautiful, horrific. Oh, yeah. I can't wait! You'll I love can't it. wait. And he's just Rogue One is it's the first time since Empire Strikes Back that I've been really excited by. Star Wars. Um, my my youngest Nate really got me into Clone Wars. I used to watch that with him a lot, and it, there was moments in there where it it, it was I, that that cartoon was genius, yeah. and what did more for that franchise in that universe than I think it ever gets credit for. Although I think Filoni is now starting to enjoy the credit that he's getting <laughs> he for it, but it's you know that that kind of. You know, Andor is, I think, the best thing that Star Wars produced since, and maybe including Star Wars. I, I just think it it's, I'm a huge Deadwood fan, so when a buddy man's like, you just got, it's Deadwood in, in the Star Wars universe, and it just, it so was. And and in all the ways that we, who are really big fans of Milch are, that it's, it's just that, it's that character base, it's that kind of gritty reality, it's that consequential narrative and the kind of interweaving of, different agendas of people's lives coming into conflict and then falling into sync with each other. And it's just, it just, I, I, I every time I've seen it, um, I just um, am absolutely floored by the, by the level that's going on there. So very excited to see this, uh, this new outing from Gareth. That'll be great. I, well, it, guess what? That was definitely one of those on, on the old list there. Um, uh, we do have Guillermo del Toro. He's, he's especially now with SAG about to wrap up. He can really get underway on Frankenstein. And uh, mm. that's a Greg Ruth. That's a Greg Ruth joint, as they say, uh, if I've ever yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking I'm forward down. to Yorgos's new uh, Frankenstein film. <laughs> oh, that one out, too. So yeah. But, you know, yeah. So you'll have it's going to be almost. Well, it's come, already come out, but um, such a timeless story. And I think he did such a beautiful job with Pinocchio, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. And, and and in that medium, I think, didn't he say something like, I just want to do stop motion films? He from just wanted to do, yeah, like, he, did, he did say that. Um, he's doing a traditional filming with this, but... Um, uh, but what I would, you know, I, I desperately would love him to do the never ending story in stop motion, Guillermo del Toro. Like, I think that would be really interesting. I think it might even fit better there. <laughs> I, I just, I never, never ending story kind of came out a little bit. It was kind of like in the, like Rugrats. I just, I missed Rugrats. It wasn't yeah. my, that wasn't my child. Mine was banana splits. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm oh. much older. Mm -hmm. So by the time never ending story came out, 
it wasn't i was too old for it I, it wasn't the right time and i just i've never clicked it i've never seen goonies i don't think i'm ever going to see goonies every part <laughs> of goonies that i see makes me upset that it even exists as a film and i do so not understand what's going agree. on there. So but bad. i know all about that horror Get thing cold pills. browning <laughs> in the bog. Oh, i mean boy. it's uh, so uh, i think that would make i think that would make a lot of sense I, i'm i'm i love seeing remakes of of flawed or failed but good concept films mm. um they're hard it's rare when they really rise above them but they do when they do it's extraordinary you know mm. um I, <laughs> I i i know where the fence is on um on spoiling and nda stuff and i'm i'm comfortable running right up against it you know you got it man <laughs> no worries well um i actually have here again we have this we've had this um beautiful wide ranging um deep dive kind of conversation but um sure. i want to say you elevate what you create like whatever subject you're addressing whether it's your own unique uh, original works um or you know giving shape to the works of others i just have it here i think i even mentioned it a couple times in my notes. He's, he just constantly he elevates it he takes it further uh in 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 how you adapt it and um and you, you know, have to right. take it you have to take you it seriously to, you know yes, you have to thank you. Yeah. you have to want you have to you have to take it seriously not not you know own it in or, or run it down and say, I'm just doing a kid's thing, so it doesn't matter and kids are stupid. You know, I, it was one of the most disheartening things I'd heard from George Lucas when he used as a defense, like, I'm just making movies for kids, and that's why, you know, I think he was defending the prequels. Yeah. And um, I just felt like that just cut, that cut really deep as a, as the wrong way to look at how you approach this material. You you wouldn't have a Maury Sendak if somebody didn't take childhood seriously. That's a dark portrait of what childhood is, which oh, is gosh, yeah. struggle and anger and, and where the wild things are is, is so iconic. And it's, I mean, that book, you know, it, it took too. years before that caught on and to an yeah. audience. It just, it, you, you gotta just, you gotta just take it seriously. I mean, I, I feel like that's, I think that's what I love so much about an Andor is that you, there were, there I mean, there that is Shakespearean level writing that's going into that thing. Oh, there's, Luthen's there's really brilliant writing. Yeah, but the dialogue is in, in, insane, and same for Deadwood, even or mm -hmm. just to recognize that even a genre piece is a platform to jump off from, to go further with, to to come up. If you're making a noir or a western or a samurai film, um, it's why I. I almost love um, Masaki Kobayashi films more than Kurosawa. I just feel like he's able to emotionally deliver just levels of depth that I, I think are unmatched um, compared to everyone. I, I think I would put Harakiri next to Ron or Rashomon any day of the week in terms of character and just the absolute brilliance. And if Ma, I mean, Harakiri is so modern the way that the thing is told. Uh, it's incredible to see in a oh, film that old. I, I, need I love it. So yeah, just take your shit seriously, you know. Beautifully, eloquently expressed. As as honestly, everything you've 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 articulated, man, in this conversation. But another thread I just detected, just looking at this conversation, is um not just you know driven from intre from interest and inspiration, but 
you know, it is so, it is so, it is so your humanity that drives like what you resonate with, and to the point where I even because I mentioned to Ray like you know your your work with the inauguration book, and she's gonna freak out when I tell her about the um, Hamilton, and but you know that work like just, it's an art you made for uh, Amanda Gorman, you know, like you know the the beauty like the 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 power of how when you witness and experience either in fiction or in real life an intense moment of beautiful humanity like it, it affects you and it, it, it infects you to the point where sure. it needs to find that that expression and i just find that that is transcendental i think it is yeah. it is someone who is so open to being comfortable with being outside of their expected box it's why i am I'm anticipating, you know, your sculpture phase. I'm ex- anticipating a film directed by you. I really, I do, I, there's no end. There's no end to this train, Greg. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a man. There's, there's definitely limits. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a 3D guy. I've just okay. never been able to do it. I, my son is, um, he is a brilliant uh, sculptor, and he's a oh, natural sculptor. And he I, inherited and I can it. See it. <laughs> he took it from you me. know. So he's going to take up that mantle for me. I, I, he's able to construct and concoct things. I just don't even understand. Tell him um, to go to followtheblackrabbit.com. It is the beautiful sculpting work. Yeah, if you even go to your website now, follow the black rabbit. It is. Um, I remember being bored in art school and just googling that as a random URL. It's the beautiful sculptor. Um, uh, she she works in animal archetypes, so she'll investigate you know, feelings of weakness and vulnerability, and depict like a human psyche in the form of a, you know, um, like a like a, a curled up sort of watership down kind of rabbit or whatever. Watership down, mm-hmm. secret of Nim Don Bluth. Oh, that's we need to. Yeah. Do. Oh my oh, God. Bloody. No, <laughs> completely. And yeah, watership down is amazing. And oh. secret of Nim. When I was, oh my God, did I love that thing? Like, I mean, and I, I've got, they're doing something now. They're, they're like, it's yeah. actually, if you look it up, they're working on it and they better do it oh. right because I need them to do it right. So then you will be interested in doing the posters for it. But yeah, it's going to be a series. They're going to do a limited series. I, I think, um, uh, yeah, so that's coming. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you know about that. That makes me happy. <laughs> no, good. Yeah. No, I love all that. I was, um, no, I, I, I've always really appreciated older, like anybody that apply because I hate the kind of fluffy candy cane, um, colored balloon childhood stuff. It's there. Kids are, are bright like that. And they're, yeah. there's a wonderness, there's a wondrousness, uh, that they possess that is legitimate. And I'm, I'm would never run that down. But it's also really hard and really scary. And there are tiny yeah. people living in a world of giants that control everything. And it's totally. it's there's a lot to deal with. It's what I love about uh, L. Frank Baum's Oz books. They're bananas and dark and really strange. Um, it, you know, there's a there's a great. Um, I'm trying to think of the. I don't even remember the title of the book. There's a great kind of history of children's literature when I was doing a lot of. And I did a lot of children's lit when I was, my kids were of age. I was kind of working for them in a lot of ways. And um, so I did a lot of research into this stuff. And there was a real interesting demarcation line between childhoods before the 1950s and childhoods after and how the literature changes. Mm. 
uh, based on the kind of absence of the daily interaction with death that kids were experiencing. I mean, in the 1930s, kids were stepping over a dead horse in the middle of the street to go walk across dark, the, to go in the Bowery, to go do this. They were there. You had five kids because maybe two would survive the cholera that one got, or the pneumonia, or the flu, or the group or whatever crazy right. Victorian stuff for the smallpox and the, you know there was just a lot of mortality visible in children's lives for a long time so these Grimm's fairy tales are very reflective of this is a threatening world that they're in they're they're really fighting not to be thrown into an oven to not be yeah. killed and hung to not be eaten by the wolf you know and not those shielded. kind of yeah. children's stories to me or the roll doll i think always managed to capture that kind of dangerousness oh yes to being the witches a child oh. that I my goodness the witches when the i mean you've seen the witches i'm sure you know with the girl disappearing sure the, the girl disappearing from the painting in the witches is right up there with like most oh so great i, I it's stuff is just terrific you know yeah. and i love a quiet a ghost story to me is the best kind of horror there is that's my that's always gonna be my hands down favorite go-to it's interesting you bring that up because um there's okay i'll, I'll i'm gonna rain, rain myself in because i have like 60 other things but what i want to tie it back into you were mentioning the importance of of uh you know not over shielding you know and, and neil literally does this with ellie brings her along you know makes her really so so in, i mean she has it to the point where the monster quote-unquote is in her like she is so yeah. uh that 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 loss of innocence but then the the poetry of trying to keep that innocence with you know that extremely harrowing i think it's episode six of season one like i'm sorry like it's and then your beautiful painting of it and everything as um your work right but, um but i i need to say this uh i'm just gonna put this out there for you scott derrickson director of um dr strange you oh. mentioned you get your beautiful thing um that he said about uh metal arc you know an overpowering experience that left me as shaken um provoked and fulfilled as the best works of comic mccarthy he needs to be here's how it's going to go down now i'm putting my producer hat on so greg okay uh what we're going to do is you're going to do a poster for him for labyrinth 2 which he's currently working on with maggie levin uh, mm-hmm. I have a, I have a prediction that it's gonna they, obviously they can't get Bowie but they'll get someone like Saint Vincent like a new like a musical accompaniment person for Labyrinth too. Yeah, you need a new yeah yeah you need yeah. A, kind of a, a new unknown. I don't want to see somebody that we know or, no. or Chalamet or something. Yeah, you no, need to no, get no. us a fresh face. Yeah, you you make that for him. He gets inspired now after all the thing of the SAG after and the WGA. They make that happen and then you say okay, in thanks for like to to thank me for for doing that. I need you to help me adapt. And you have so many beautiful, like the the Greg Ruth originals. I want to see, I would love to see someone have a crack at sudden gravity. You know, people, oh, people yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think uh, that's, I'm, you know, I, I became like the really interested in, in the Ruth verse, you know, this, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah. Lynch has his Well then, I, I, without, I can't really speak much to it, but you I'm, you know, again, it's a long way to get to an idea and a desire to see a film. Mm-hmm. But I do know Scott, um, and he is a big fan of of Metal Arc, and mm-hmm. um, I think he's I think he's an incredible uh, storyteller. I mean, oh my god! Uh, so, so I'm just going to do the you might get title. your wish in a I'm certain do... way, yeah. Totally clickbait. Yeah. Greg Ruth announces that Scott Derrickson is directing. No, no, <laughs> okay, no. Look, interest is not it. That. We'll see. We'll I see. Would never we'll do see. That. I, it's never. But I think that there's something. I mean, yeah, he blurbed our book, you know, 
It's beautiful. For a reason. But I, you know, it's just, again, it's the process. You know, I've I've had a lot of things like that come up. You know, they they get ready to go up, go up on the stage, and they just for whatever reason things That's change. Cool. The big people move on. Look at the mouse guy. Poor things guy. like the strike are really this. Uh, the, things like this writer strike they really kind of throw the table over uh, end over end in terms of everybody's planning, and sometimes that means stuff goes forward that maybe was on the bubble before it means that stuff that was doing really well loses its cast to other work and you'll never see that show again there's a lot of stuff that i think we're not quite sure what the fallout is from this strike and i think that changes a lot um i just think that there's um there's a lot of interesting balls in the air and okay i hope that they have something solid to talk about yeah well but i did mention it'd be interesting there you go. I did mention the juggling you do, and I as as we as we as we sort of begin to wrap things up. Just for this one, um, first of all, I need it's I'm I'm impelled to ask, uh, would you be down to to jump on again for something else? Maybe another like say some matrix stuff happens or whatever. Uh, we do have a. I would love to. Be, yeah, oh, yeah I haven't I haven't spent enough time. I it's been a long time since I've been in the matrix first, and I've always mm. I've always adored it, and it's all still up in my brain. When we had so many things that we were going to do that just we weren't able to after right. the third film um uh kind of didn't land yeah uh, properly and it kind of really snuffed out that whole uh that whole that whole stream of of potential but um so much potential, no that's though. just okay great stuff all right yeah. well yeah. well obviously as i've mentioned throughout this episode um truly grateful you are who you are that you exist that you're doing what you're doing i <laughs> And I am very grateful that um, along the way, because you have this chronicle of these various beautiful outlets, which please, by the way, uh, it's either Greg Ruth or Greg Things basically everywhere, right? Uh, in terms of where people can find you, you know? Yeah, you can Google my name, just Greg Ruth, and you'll it'll take you right to it. Somehow it's all managed to stitch together. I was I tried to get back, way back in the day, in the early days of the Internet, I had tried to get Greg Ruth. Mm-hmm. My wife, Jen Smith, which is the least exotic <laughs> white person's name that can exist next to John Smith. She managed to get hers. She got <laughs> JenSmith.com. Why did I get GregRuth.com? Because some ding-dong baker had already claimed it. And oh, I wrote no. to him, you know. like, come on. It's been sitting there. And, and he, all he had was this little place card on it that said, shut up, leave me alone. I'm working on it. Like, it's been like five years can you not oh, just like give it to me like it's why are you even renewing this you know yeah. you're not doing anything and that's my name <laughs> all right well so, we'll keep the campaign things. going we'll do a change we'll do a change.org like that needs to change you know that's <laughs> that um, to, at this point i can't because now the things is the, right. is the thing I, i've got to hug the uh the branding right. that 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 came as a, as a, as a second. But string, Greg things, but um, nice. I do love, if I may give my kind of nomenclaturic chime in there, I love things is just, it's such a, Wrong. it's, it's everything. It's every, this thing is one of my favorite suffixes. Uh, it's a uh, everything, yeah. any, anything. It's the most important part of everything. Thank you. So Greg things, uh, <laughs> folks. Um, so I'll wrap things up here, but I want to, we'll chat in the, in the after show, so to speak, but Greg, we have been truly grateful to have you with us on the show today. Oh. We wish you, well, thank you collectively all the different various spheres or every kind of success. Um, and we look forward to witnessing the stories you'll continue to tell 
through your extraordinary illustrations. Thank you for joining you. us. Stick around, Greg, but um, to everyone else, um, have a good one. Bye. <laughs>